Podcast committed to helping you learn positive money mindsets, destroy debt, reduce financial stress, and break the paycheck to paycheck cycle. Today, we're going to chat with digital marketing expert Mark Guberti. At 21, he's got two successful podcasts Breakthrough Success and Ditch the Job, 10 years of business experience, he started his first one at 11, and over 100,000 students enrolled in his online courses. Oh, and he's just getting ready to graduate college. We'll chat with him about how he manages success and finances at such a young age, plus his passion for teaching others that it's never too early to embrace your dreams. But first, Sensible Bobby is going to share her thoughts on the year that was 2019 and give you some food for thought as we move into a new year. So here she is, the hero of hard assets, the deer of dough, helping you budget your bottom line. Here's Sensible Bobby. Thanks, Scott. And thank you for dropping by for the last episode of Sensible Chat for 2019. What a year it's been. I hope you've gotten as much out of these episodes as I have. I've learned so much from all of our guests. It's made me smarter about money and more confident about tackling any financial struggles that come my way. One of my favorite guests this year was Emily Guy Birkin, money coach and author of End Financial Stress Now. If you missed her episode, go to sensiblechat.com slash podcasts and look for the August 19th episode titled, you guessed it, End Financial Stress Now. A couple weeks ago, I asked her for a piece of financial advice that we can use going into 2020. This was her response. Quote, one of the most profound ways you can improve your financial life is to start thinking about what you want to wake up to tomorrow. What choices can you make today that your future self will be happy you made? This could mean paying off your credit card debt with your big tax refund rather than going on vacation or sending the full percentage of your raise toward your retirement account. Once you start thinking about how you can make your tomorrow easier and brighter, you can't help but to make better financial decisions and feel more confident about your finances, end quote. Thank you, Emily. I love the way you show us how a change in our own mindset and actions can actually change our financial lives. If you want to learn more about Emily, read her articles, buy her books, or just get in touch with her, visit emilyguyberkin.com. We covered so much this year, from budgeting to strategizing, winning money mindsets, talking with your loved ones about money, how to save on taxes and groceries, buying a car, weighing insurance options, and resources that can help with all of it. If you missed any episodes, go to sensiblechat.com slash podcasts and you'll find all the archives. That's Sensible with a C. Our listener base has grown a lot this year, so thank you for tuning in and telling your friends. My goal has been to pass on as much knowledge about budgeting and personal finance as I possibly can, because it's changed my life and I truly believe it can change yours. I also firmly believe that knowledge is power, but that only works if you believe you have the power. So in 2020, I want to keep providing knowledge personally and through my guests, but I also want to focus on inspiring and empowering you to do something with that knowledge. 
According to a new Wallet Hub survey, nearly 40% of people plan to make a financial New Year's resolution for 2020 if they haven't already. Now, I'm not going to go into the most popular resolutions or the steps to accomplish them because I did an entire episode on that last year. And if you haven't heard it, you can go to sensiblechat.com slash podcasts and scroll down to the Financial New Year's Resolutions episode dated December 18th, 2018. So instead of the steps to accomplish your resolutions, let's talk about the mindset behind it. Why are you making this resolution? Have you noticed it's never really about the money? If your resolution is to pay off debt, are you doing it just so you can say you're debt-free? Why do you want to save more? Because you want more money in your pocket, right? But why? Money is just paper. It's what you do with it that's important. But what's important is different for everyone. Everyone wants more money, but not everyone wants to spend it in the same way. Some may want a better car or a lavish vacation. Others would rather have enough money stockpiled so they could work less and spend more time with their kids. There are some who want to buy all the latest toys and gadgets, spend without guilt. And others are building that cash cushion to help them transition from working at J-O-B to creating the business of their dreams. Still others just want to find a way to make ends meet and get out from under the heavy burdens that cause feelings of survival instead of living. Whatever your situation, make sure you're clear on your why. Why? Because your journey to get there isn't going to be easy. The step-by-step action plan is easy once you've figured it out, but the discipline is hard. So if you don't have a clear reason, you're not going to make it. I think this is a big part of why so many New Year's resolutions fail. For the same reason our dreams don't come true. A dream is a wish, not a plan. A resolution goes a bit further because you're resolving to do something and usually declaring it out loud. But without a plan, your resolve won't last long. Life gets in the way. We get tired, overwhelmed. We need something to motivate us when we lose the resolve to motivate ourselves. Something to keep our eye on the prize. When something involves discipline, it's easy to walk away and say, forget it, I want my instant gratification. Because we're feeling pain in the moment that we don't want to feel. So our instinct is to do whatever it takes to end that pain. We're not thinking beyond that moment. So give yourself something to think about in those moments of weakness. And that is your why. Why is your resolution important? Really think about this and write down all the reasons that come to your mind. Eventually, you'll probably find one that sums it up in a nutshell. The step-by-step plan for how to get there is important, but just as important is how to stay on track mentally while you're on your way. So on that same piece of paper, I want you to write down what you're willing to give up or trade for it. What are you willing to do to reach your goal? Are you willing to cut back expenses, get a second job, sell some stuff, move, We're just brainstorming right now. I don't want you to start doing any of these things until you actually put a plan in place. Because right now, you don't truly know what it will take to reach your goal. And I would hate for you to start doing drastic things you can't undo if they won't really help. So the next thing to think about is what's going to be hard about this journey? What sacrifices stress you out? What would make you throw in the towel? You need to be aware of these before you start so you have a way to combat them. What will keep you strong in these moments of weakness? Calling a friend? Seeing your goal in writing? Give yourself whatever it takes to win. 
But think through what that is now, because if you wait until you feel weak, it's too late. Now that you've taken this important first step, pat yourself on the back for a job well done and walk away for a little bit. We're two days away from Christmas, so go enjoy your family time and be excited that not only do you have a New Year's resolution, but you have a way to actually make it happen. This is good stuff. When Christmas is over, revisit it and start creating the step-by-step plan that will help you nail your New Year's resolution. You can do this. And if your New Year's resolution is saving for next Christmas, January is a great time to start. Remember, it's never too early. Ho, 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 class. Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Mark Guberti, digital marketing expert and host of the Breakthrough Success and Ditch the Job podcasts. Mark is also a best-selling author and has enrolled over 100,000 students in his online courses. He was the recipient of the People's Choice Rule Breakers Award for his work as a teenage entrepreneur. At 21, Mark already has a decade of entrepreneurial experience under his belt. Mark, thanks for being our guest professor today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You've been blogging since the age of 11. You've been a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author. You've been asked to give a TED Talk, which is coming up in January. And that's just a few of your accomplishments. What is the secret for your motivation and success at such an early age? I'd say the secret to what I've been able to achieve based on the work I've been able to put in based on the time frame, because I'm 21 at this moment, I'd say a big part of that is just being able to get clear on what your priorities are, what's the work that you need to be doing, and then setting time to do it. Because sometimes people, they have an idea of what they have to do, but they never put it on their calendar. So if you keep putting the important things on your calendar and you keep getting them done, and you sacrifice things that don't matter as much, like watching TV and stuff like that, you get the long-term results. You either have short-term pleasures or you have long-term rewards. And you can't really have both at the same time. So you have to ask yourself, am I willing to sacrifice some of these things that they may feel good at the moment, but later they didn't really matter. They didn't contribute to my success. And you have to make those sacrifices to achieve the massive success that you are looking for. Sure. Now, 10 years later, of course, you've had a lot of opportunity to find that out for yourself. But what made you start at 11? What made you want to start blogging? My journey really starts because I'm a Red Sox fan in New York. And since I couldn't find any Red Sox fans in the area, I decided to start a blog about the Red Sox to connect (laughs) with fans. Now, I'm still a Red Sox fan, but I don't really do anything on that blog anymore. So what that really turned into, though, is I have a blog. I have a voice and I want people to get exposed to my content. I want to impact people with my content. And that really evolved into the content marketing that evolved into all the books I've written, training courses, virtual summits, because I want to help people reach their ideal audience, be able to get sales for their products and services and be able to make that the thing that they do full time and being able to create that impact as well. And you seem to be especially passionate about helping young people. On your website, it actually says, quote, I will pave the way for more teens to embrace their dreams at an early age, end quote. Why is this important to you and how are you doing it? This is important to me because uh, during my journey, I really saw the whole age barrier thing where when I say that, it's like 
you could still do whatever you want at any age. You just face, in my experience, more criticism because like if I make a mistake in business uh, or if I say something that may not be perfect because, you know, I'm learning this like as an 11 year old, as a 13 year old, <laughs> like people say like, he's 13, you don't have 20 years of business experience. Why are you telling people how to start a business? So you get some ridicule in the beginning. And I've heard of some people who like, a teen, for instance, she wrote a book, she went through all the hoops and got it through the publisher, but then the publisher discovered her age. And solely based on that, they decided to pull out of the deal last minute. So I feel like there are some people who think that once I have 20 years of business experience, that's when I could be making all this money. That's when I am able to do what I love doing. But I believe that people need to be aware that as teens, you can start a business, you can pursue what you love and make money from it well before you graduate college, well before you get a degree. And those things are helpful, but I don't think people should wait until they get those things if that's the path they want to take. They shouldn't have to wait to get those things before realizing, hey, you could do this right now. And how do I help teens realize this? Well, I believe it's just through my example. And when any teen reaches out and has a question, I give them a little extra attention because I respect someone who is starting that early at a point where it's not traditional for teens or young people to start businesses. And I really respect that kind of hustle. That's really awesome and such an important thing. I mean, teens and young people really need to start learning those skills early. And if they can start earning money early, it's really going to improve their lives later on, especially if they can handle it in the right way. So let's talk about that for a minute, because obviously when you were 11 and started blogging and started bringing in your own money, you didn't have any bills that you were paying. So what did you do with that money in the first place? So that is a really great point. Like the great thing about starting young, yeah, you can't say it's about all households, but I feel like younger people are less likely to have an overhead than parents. Like it's just a fact. Some young people, like they still make money. They still have to pay off rent because different families have different circumstances and contexts. But the money that I was making and that I make to this day, I'm not buying the latest clothing. I'm not buying the latest fashion or latest video game. I strictly do probably, I'd say probably just three things with that money. The one guilty pleasure I have is running. So I register for half marathons and marathons. That's the only time I really spend money on me. The second thing I do with my money is spend it on my business. So whether it be podcast hosting at Libsyn or hiring a coach or getting some books, like on my business, that's number two. And then number three would be investing. So right now I invest in stocks. I'm looking to invest in real estate pretty soon because this is my last semester of college. So I'll have more choice as to like living and like where I want to go. But I believe that people should think about putting money into themselves and really think about how they spend it. Because like, again, my guilty pleasure, if you even want to call it that, is running half marathons and full marathons. It's not buying the latest video game that... I'll play for like two years and then never touch again. And the only way I would really say buy video games or something like that is if you want to start a Twitch channel, because that's a way you can make a lot of money and do what you love. So if you are buying video games, you don't have to feel bad about it. Just find a way to turn into a business, do what you love and be able to make money from it. 
Wow. <laughs> That's such a great idea. Yeah. I mean, definitely turn your passions into money. If you can find a way to do it, that's fantastic. But you you had to be in the minority when you were a kid among your friends, right? So was it hard for you to have those kind of values when I'm sure that you had friends that did just want to go and get the latest video game or pour their money into the latest toy? Well, I think for me, it was easier for me to be different. I was born with food allergies. So I had to explain that to people during birthday parties in schools. I had to explain like why I was bringing my own food, stuff like that. And I'm a Red Sox fan in New York. So <laughs> I was pretty different straight from the get-go. I would say though, that when it comes to friends and social circles, most of my interaction happens at the actual school or campus. It doesn't really happen that much outside and I prefer it that way because it allows me to get deeper on my work. It allows me to be more careful of who I'm spending my time with and how I'm utilizing my time because uh, I feel like some people, they feel socially inclined to go to parties and do things like that. But if you get rid of the social pressure or if you just think more about who you want to hang out with, who you don't want to hang out with, you can make some of the better decisions. Like not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, like people in general. And now we have to apply that to teens. So I like to find the people who they have that entrepreneurial mindset or they're interested in business and really cling on to those people and then not think about as much someone who may not be into that kind of stuff because I want to be careful of who I spend my time with. I want to make sure it's a good, mutual, beneficial relationship and just make sure I'm hanging out with the best people who will level me up. That's just such a mature attitude at the age of 21. You must have had amazing parents on top of your own. Yeah, they really guided me through a lot of this stuff. When it comes to uh, guidance in that direction, like my mom encouraged my brother and I to start blocks about our baseball teams. And then she continued guiding me through the process. Now, when it comes to like social media marketing, funnels, content marketing, I had to learn that on my own. But it was her saying like, research, research, research. That's pretty much what I did to get my knowledge and then implementation. So yeah, parents, pretty critical. (laughs) Definitely. And it's so great that, I mean, you've had so much success, but you are still going to college to get a degree. Tell me about that and uh, why that's important to you as somebody who is already successful. So college has been important for like my entire family, like grandparents and now my current parents, like both of them, they value the college degree. So there are people who like, you know, they question it. They say you don't really need it. And I definitely understand that side of the argument. I don't think college is necessarily for every single person, because if you graduate with like the big 200K in debt, uh, it's really hard to claw your way out of that one. So I'd say it's not for everyone. For me, I went to a school that offered me not a full scholarship, but definitely to make it easier because I don't feel like people should be paying 60 grand a year. And I chose to major in finance because I felt I had the marketing dialed down. Marketing is something that continues to change. I could interview someone on my podcast if I don't know something. But with finance, all the numbers stay the same. And it is a great skill to understand so that you get your money to work for you and you're able to build up passive income from your investments. Wow. 
I think there are so many people listening right now that would agree with me that uh, I certainly wish I had known what you know at your age. Very impressive. When did you start thinking about college, what you wanted to major in in college and how you were going to pay for it? Because I assume that you started thinking about that a while back. Oh, yeah, I definitely started thinking about that. First off, it was like, do I really need college? Because I was on the uh, fence a little bit. But overall, I felt like it would be a good decision because it's opened me to experiences, the community there. I did cross-country track and field. Uh, so really awesome experiences. In terms of the learning, Like I was all set for a while to be a marketing major. But I was like, what am I going to learn that I don't already know? And you could learn some principles and like different, like for people who don't know as much about marketing, like for context, I've been marketing, doing my whole business, author and like all that stuff for like, I want to say eight or nine years leading up to it. So I didn't feel like I needed the marketing. But when it came to financials and like investing, I knew very little at the time. Like I saw, okay, big company, I like you based on stuff you've done in the past, let me buy you. I didn't know about PE ratio, price of sales, payout ratio, stuff more advanced like that. So that's why I thought instead of picking a major that it's in line with the work that I'm already doing, let me pick an important major. Not saying marketing is not important. Marketing is important, but let me pick another important major that exposes me to very important concepts that I know nothing about. So I used college as a way to specialize in an area that I did not know about rather than picking an area that I know a lot about already. So because you had been successful already when you started college, tell me if you had money set aside or if you use scholarships or what is going to help you get through college without being saddled with that $200,000 debt that a lot of people come out with. In my context, it was me looking for a school that a high quality school that gave the most money. And I'm lucky enough to have parents who covered the rest of it. And pretty much the way it goes in my family is they'll cover me for college. And then when I have kids, I'll cover them. So that's pretty much the flow that we currently have. Not everyone agrees with that. Like in terms of like outside stuff in our family, that's the approach we've taken. Because I mean, for us, like we don't want to have that financial stress. But for people who like in a scenario where I don't have that kind of coverage, I would just look for a good enough school that gave me the most money. Because like if you just say you have a degree that's good enough, it doesn't matter what school you went to in most cases. As long as you could go up to someone and say you have a degree in something, it helps you. So I would say just like literally, which everyone gives you the most money, which everyone is the cheapest, go to that one because there are some colleges out there, like state schools that maybe just 10 grand a year. I don't know all these numbers. Like I'm not an expert in this area, but I would look for the cheapest one instead of going for like the biggest name, not getting any money from them and then having the big debt. So now you stated in something that I read, I I think it was on your website, you stated that it isn't just about being successful and having financial flexibility, but creating a movement. Do you think it would have been harder to create that movement if you didn't have the financial flexibility? I think like financials, they help you, they amplify, but they're not everything. So like, Financials, for instance, you have $100,000, that's $100,000 you could spend on Facebook ads and more easily reach people. But I feel like if you look for a way, 
you get creative even if you don't have any money. So like, it's very easy to build relationships with people on a place like LinkedIn or join a bunch of Facebook groups, build relationships with people. That's how you could get clients. That's how you can get on stages and impact people that way. So does money help? I mean, in that context, like, yes, it definitely helps, but you don't necessarily need money to create that kind of an impact. Now, tell us about the movement that you're trying to create. I believe that age is not a limit to success. And I've done a lot of different projects, a lot of different things like books, training, all the stuff I mentioned earlier, but age is not a limit to success. That has been the one thing that I've really stuck with forever. And it's probably going to be the thing that I always say, because I feel like a lot of people think they're too young to do things. Like if you're a teen listening to this, or you're even younger than that, you think you got to hit a certain age for people to respect you, for people to buy your product. And like the, who am I, the imposter syndrome. Uh, I feel like it's easier to get that when you see someone suit and tie 20 years business experience, uh, making those sales instead of like a young kid. So that's the kind of thing I like to focus on. Like my TEDx talk is about breaking through the age barrier in business. Like how can young people make it instead of just, you know, waiting until you get your degree, waiting until you climb the corporate ladder and things like that. So I say that's my main message and what I focus on through what I say in interviews like this, but also through my example, because I feel like when people see that there's a 21 year old doing this stuff, they get inspired and think about their own dreams and possibilities. Absolutely. How could they not? Now, you mentioned that you only have a semester left of college. So presumably in the near future, you'll be going out on your own. Do you have a solid financial foundation? Do you feel like you're ready financially to go out on your own? What does that look like for you? Financially, I'm definitely ready. The way that I would approach is... I would just make sure I want to pick the right area that I want to live in. Like I love New York, but I don't love the uh, taxes that you have to pay. And for someone who is location independent, like that's the work that I do. And for someone who uh, like I go into the city, but I wouldn't say I go there like a ton of times. I am interested in a place that has a lower cost of living. So I would look around, maybe travel to only a few places like for business trips And then when I make my big decision as this is where I want to go, I would buy a property there. I'd rather buy than rent because when you buy, the real estate can go up. And then I would look to do a multifamily or buy a few small single family houses that I could put people in because I feel like real estate is a great investment vehicle. And I don't just want to be someone who buys one property being their home and not really do anything on the investing side. Now, what would you say to someone who is at the age where they're ready to move out? They want to, you know, get away from mom and dad, live on their own, whatever, but they're not as financially stable as you. They haven't, you know, been working for the last 10 years and doing that stuff. Fresh out of college, maybe looking for their first job, not financially ready to move out, but they're itching to. What would you tell them as far as the benefits of maybe taking advantage of a situation, living with mom and dad a bit longer to save up, to be ready to go out on your own versus just jumping into it? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I would say living with your parents is a great strategy because like my parents looked at their parents for a bit and their friends are like moving out early and they're like, why aren't you moving out? Well, again, like we talked about this a little earlier, no overhead. That's a big advantage instead of paying the 
monthly rent because I feel like a lot of people, people who rush to get out, they almost never actually buy a property. It's probably just rent. And then like you pay those monthly rent payments, but they're rent payments. They're not mortgage payments. There's never a point where you own the property free and cleared through rent because that's just how it works. So being able to live in the place where you know you got no overhead, no big payments to make, maybe you're not even paying for food, you do have the opportunity to build up your income in a way that you will not have as much of if you do the buy a house right away, live in it, not view real estate as an investment vehicle. Uh, but one way you can speed it up if you're really itching to get out is maybe you get together with a friend and maybe you split the expenses of a property and then you do like some kind of multifamily or you buy two small houses so that you're able to generate cash flow from your property. So this is where, I mean, if you get other people involved, it gets a little trickier because of contracts and like who lives in the house and things like that. But those are different options to consider. You do see it more often in rent where a bunch of buddies will decide to live together to cut down on expenses. Right. And what ends up happening, you know, for most people, I mean, 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And when you move out fast like that, you get your first job and you're basically in that cycle right away because you're working to pay the rent and the overhead that you were talking about that you don't have to pay with mom and dad. So So do you ever see yourself just working solely for a paycheck? I don't understand why people put themselves in the situation where it's paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I would never do it that way. I feel like it's better to just start a business. I feel like it's better to be able to get clients and be able to have more of an active role in determining how much money you make because at a job, it's pretty set. You work X amount of hours, you get X amount of pay. There's nothing you could really do about it unless you start a side hustle. So that's my thoughts there. But regarding the paycheck to paycheck, I think that happens to people because they view their money as spending money. Like earlier, I said my only guilty pleasure, again, if you even want to call it that, it's just like in terms of me spending money on like non-investment stuff is the running. But... I'm not buying the latest car. I'm not in a rush to get a car either. I would rather have multiple properties under my belt before I buy a single car because X amount of dollars each month you have to pay for a car. That's not going anywhere. Like with a house, you know that you're paying off a mortgage or you get a tenant to pay off the mortgage for you. So I feel like people just don't think about how they're spending their money and they're not putting it to good enough use. And that's why you do have a lot of people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And with that kind of mindset, you probably are not on as a rigid a budget as a lot of other people would have to be that haven't made those better decisions early on. But how do you go about it? Because we all have to manage our money in some fashion. So how do you manage your money? I look at my financials and I like to put the majority of my money into investments. And I have a spreadsheet that I list all my expenses like for business. There's really not anything for personal. And even when I do go traveling, that's usually for a business context. So I have all that on an Excel spreadsheet. I actually do have a free spreadsheet available for everyone who does want to track their income and expenses. But that's pretty much what I use to track my money because... I feel like if you just try to think the numbers in your head, instead of having them all written out, you can get hit by a surprise expense. You can think you've made all of your payments. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, you forget to make the car payment that month. And that thing pops at you. And now all of a sudden, you're in debt. 
And I mean, especially for people, if you get out of college and you have that big weight on you, you do have to stay on top of your financials. And I do recommend using something like a spreadsheet to manage everything. I'm so glad that you said that because that really kind of encapsulates one of the main reasons for budgeting. You're right, because you just can't do all the math in your head. So you put it on paper, you've got something to look at, and it kind of answers all the questions for you. Do I have money for this? Do I have money for that? How much should I put here and there? And that's really the main end goal in budgeting. Now, a lot of times, people who are successful in business can neglect their finances. So they're making a ton of money, but they're in debt up to their eyeballs. This is because, you know, like we've already talked about, sometimes people have different priorities. So for those people who have kind of grown up more with the spender mindset, then obviously you're you're a saver. What would you recommend for them to kind of redirect their bigger priorities? And I definitely see, like, you see this happen. You see the guy making 300000 who's got 400000 in expenses. And I really just think it comes down to not just, like, having the spreadsheet in play, but also saying, like, what could be taken off of your spreadsheet. Like, uh, if you're at a country club or if you're spending, like, thousands of dollars on, like, something that you don't use, like a gym membership, let's say. That's just a classic example. Uh, those are things that you shouldn't be paying for. I mean, I think if we focus more on the necessities rather than the luxuries, then you fall less into the scenario of, you know, 300,000 earnings and spending 400,000. So I really just think it comes down to only spending money for like investing purposes and just like your necessary stuff, like your food and your water instead of like a nice looking shirt or some fancy brand like Gucci, for instance. I don't have any Gucci, but I know that's a really big thing. I would just think about how you're spending your money. And for some people, they could really look at you straight in the eye and say like, you know, I spend 300,000, I spend 400,000, but all of that 400,000 is the business. Then I would look at individual business segments and see where is it not necessary for you to spend money anymore. So for instance, I used to use ClickFunnels. I do think it's good for some people. It wasn't good for me because I already have optimized press. Optimized press gives you almost all the ClickFunnel features. And optimized press is just like a one-time, like maybe $97. I think that's what it is. While ClickFunnels was $97 per month. And while I did create nice funnels using ClickFunnels, I was able to create very much the same kind of funnel on optimized press and pay one time instead of paying the monthly. So I would look at your expenses, even from the business side and see, are they really necessary? Are there better alternatives out there? And see how you can whittle down your expenses so you keep more of the revenue that you make. Now, the TED Talk that you have coming up, uh, you talked uh, briefly about it earlier, but let's talk a little bit about what the subject matter of that is going to be. And also, I know that TED Talks are a really big deal, and congratulations, by the way, on that. But I am unaware of how is that something that people can attend or they'll find it online? How does that work? Uh, So the TED Talk that I'm doing is about, TEDx Talk, just to verify, is about breaking through the age barrier in business. So you've got the, uh, I know we talked about this a lot, but you know, the young person who thinks they can't make it, they have to wait until they get older to do things. Uh, But you could really pursue your dreams, your passions now and make money from it. So that's going to be pretty much the main part of my talk, like breaking through that age barrier. This talk is actually going to be at Lincoln University. 
in Pennsylvania. So I'm sure if you just look that up, you'll find more info on that. And that's happening in January of 2020, correct? Yes, that is correct. Awesome. So how can people get in touch with you? I know that you do a lot of YouTube videos. Um, you self-publish a lot of books. But how do people get in touch with you if they maybe want to ask you questions or work with you directly on learning more about digital marketing? Uh, if you just Google me, Mark Gaberti, M-A-R-C, uh, you'll find a ton of stuff. YouTube channel, I'm really looking to grow that 100,000 subscribers in five years. That is a big goal there. If you guys want to learn content marketing, I've got contentmarketingsuccesssum.com. And finally, I did talk about a free income spreadsheet. Uh, so this is a page I recently created. I used to have it on ClickFunnels. I moved to Optimize Press, just like what I said a few minutes ago. But that link, I believe, is marketgaberti.com slash income dash spreadsheet. And then you'll be able to get your own Excel file, numbers file, depending on what computer you have. And you'll start to be able to track your income and your expenses. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. You are an inspiration to both teens and adults. And I really appreciate all the great information you've shared with us today. It was a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for having me. A big, jolly, sensible thank you to our guest, Professor Mark Guberti, digital marketing expert and host of the Breakthrough Success and Ditch the Job podcasts. Visit his website at markguberti.com. Wow, what an inspiration he is. You know what I got out of that? The barriers to our success are only what we believe them to be. You guys, he's 21, never been in debt, and will never have to feel the stress of the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. What a gift. I say we work together to break our cycles, then go on a crusade to keep our children from ever getting caught in that typhoon. The first thing we've got to do to break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle is get out of debt. Then we've got to save so we're never dependent on the paycheck again. So how do we get started? If you value the green, if you save as you go, then wealth is closer than it seems, and you can make that cash flow. That song is called Cash Flow by Taylor Brown, winner of the Lights, Camera, Save contest from Centric Bank and the American Bankers Association. She was our guest on the July 8th episode titled, of course, Cash Flow. So if you want to hear what a financially literate 18-year-old sounds like, or you want to hear the whole award-winning song, go to sensiblechat.com podcasts and find Cash Flow in the archives. Welcome to Saving Secrets. This year, we've talked about a lot of super easy and ready-to-use savings tips you may not have thought about. I'm going to review the top 10 so you can use them while you're making your spending plan for next year. Oh, and I have a blog now, so I did a blog post about this too. It's called 10 Surprising Ways to Save Money. So here they are. Tip number one, budget high for all bills and expenses. Use the highest amount you've paid for each bill or expense in the last 12 months and budget that amount each month going forward. When the bill is less than the amount you budgeted, save the difference. Tip number two, give yourself an allowance. Instead of using whatever's left after paying the bills for your discretionary spending, establish a set amount to give yourself each week or month. This way, you always get a little play money, but that's it. Any, quote, extra money goes toward your savings goal. Tip number three, raise the rent. Impose a rent increase on yourself and save the difference. 
You'd find a way to cover the increase if it really happened, so this is a great way to trick yourself into saving. Plus, you're more prepared if you actually do get a rent increase. Tip number four, save the cashback rewards from your credit card. Or even better, find one that lets you invest your rewards and save for the future. Tip number five, if you have an HSA, max it out. This is pre-tax money, and if you use it for medical purposes, you'll never be penalized or taxed on it. So even if you spend every dime of it for medical costs, you're still saving money because you didn't pay tax. If you don't spend it all right now, you can save it for future medical expenses or invest it and let it grow. At age 65, you can use it for any purpose without penalty, just like you would your 401k. Just pay the taxes. Tip number six, do a no spend month or even week. Commit to a period of time where you don't spend money on anything. Then save what you would have spent. For example, if you usually go out to eat twice a week, don't and save that money. Tip number seven, get your kids on board with cutting the electric bill. Offer to give them five bucks if the bill comes in under a certain amount. So if your typical bill is $100, but it comes in at 90, you save five and they get five. Tip number eight, budget high for back to school expenses and get your kids on board with cutting those expenses. Our back to school money challenge covers all the details about that one. And you can find that at sensiblechat.com. Tip number nine, adjust your withholdings to get more from your paycheck. Have this amount automatically put in savings each time you're paid. If you keep this money in the savings account, you won't have to worry if you owe it for taxes because it will still be in your savings account, but you earn a little interest in the meantime. Tip number 10, make multiple monthly payments towards your debt. Even if you don't pay a dime more than you did before, increasing the frequency of your payments will cut down on the interest you pay. So there you have it. 10 surprising ways to save money. If you want to review those, you can listen to this podcast again or check out the blog at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. By the way, if you haven't been there for a while, go check it out. We did a complete overhaul a few weeks ago and added the blog plus a booking calendar so you can schedule a free budget consultation with me at your convenience. Big thanks to my hubby, Scott, for all his hard work in completely redesigning the website. Let me know what you think. Email me, Bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at sensiblechat.com. The first blog post I wrote was called Cash-Free Christmas Gifts, and it focuses on meaningful gifts you can give even if you don't have a dime to spend. Those are the best gifts of all. So if you're searching for the perfect last-minute gift, go to sensiblechat.com blog and read the Cash-Free Christmas Gifts post. I had this experience, so I want to share what my hubby Scott gave me for Christmas last year. It was a song. I was blown away. A complete pile of tears, and I fell in love with him all over again. Best present ever. So here it is. The song is called A Little Sunshine by Scott Olson. Some tears 
is a gift money can't buy and one I'll treasure for the rest of my life. So if you're low on cash this year, don't fret, don't feel ashamed, and don't rack up a bunch of debt just to give a gift. Give something of yourself. You'll be surprised how much more it means. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I can't wait to chat with you again in 2020. Until then, keep spending and saving the sensible way. That does it for this episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. Links for all the resources mentioned can be found in the show notes for this episode at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. While you're there, find your favorite app to be sure and never miss a show. On social media, look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to Sensible Bobby through the contact page at SensibleChat.com. That's Sensible with a C. 